What's up, guys? Josh here from the Rising Action Podcast. In this episode, Grayson and I talk about the adaptation of the short story titled It Had to Be Murder. It just so happens that this adaptation is one of the most revered films ever made in Rear Window. We compare and contrast the two methods of telling the same story and analyze how Rear Window has become such a film classic. All of that and more is coming up next, so now I'm going to shut up and get into it with Grayson. Rising Action. Rising Action. Good to go. I believe so. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising Action Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rising Action Podcast. Not the Comic Class Podcast, as Josh has sometimes said before. This is the other one. This is the, this is the Rising Action Podcast. It's me, Grayson, hello, with Josh, of course. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Today is a wonderful day to be alive in the neighborhood. Today's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, Mr. Rogers, thank, thank you for all that you've done. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It feels like it's been a while since we've recorded, but um, but here we are. Um, but Josh and I are a little a little tired. We, we both have quite busy lives, but... Um, I'm doing this this class right now, and it's it's got a lot of stories we've been uh, we've been reading and watching. So um, I thought I'd kind of tie it in with that, um, and and we were gonna we're gonna talk about the short story. It had to be murder by, I believe it is, uh, Cor- It's like Corel Woolbright or Woolbridge or something. Cornell Woolbridge. I'll find out the title. I don't remember his name at all. And then the movie. Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, which is a adaptation of that said short story. Um, but before we get into all of that fun stuff, um, please follow us on Instagram at risingaction underscore. Uh, that's where you can keep up to date on most of the things. Uh, you can also please follow us on wherever you're listening to this too. Um, and if you are on Apple Podcasts, please leave us as a review as it makes our hearts happy. Um I don't know if there's anything else I'm leaving out, uh, other unless you have anything else to say. No, that uh, that about covers it. That's all the housekeeping junk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, you know, you you know what, you love it. Uh, we gotta yeah. get through it. But um, but yeah. Uh, gosh, let me see real quick. Um, so. Yeah, I already said like the reason I kind of wanted to analyze this this story both in print and in screen is because I am doing a class, as I've mentioned in the past couple of episodes, where we are reading a story, whether it be a novel, a novella, a graphic novel, etc., etc., and then watching its film counterpart. Um, even though the, some of these have multiple film counterparts, um, we're usually choosing the ones that are most revered or iconic and or whatever that may be. So. This is the second story that I have read for this class. We're doing a total of 12, um, one per week, and it happened to be, it had to be murder as the short story in Rear Window uh, for the movie. Um, So that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this, because Rear Window is a movie that Josh has talked about uh, multiple times before on the podcast, especially when we get into the filmmaking stuff, and specifically the episode he did with Seth talking about the most... um, what was it? The, the most influential or the most influential movies in cinema history. Right. And you had, and you had mentioned rear window, um, you know, a little bit considering it is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. So that's why we chose yep. that. Um, Josh, I want to ask you since you're not, since you are, you are above college, you know, you are, you graduated last year. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm above. College. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a pedestal looking down at all you peasants. Even though he went to college, he's like, <laughs> Losers! <laughs> no, <laughs> since you're past college, you are an old man. Even though I'm, I'm, a I'm almost there. young professional, as they call us now. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said that to me the other day, and I was like, "Ew, stop!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Um, so, which of these? Kind of give me a little bit on your background on this. Did you read the short story first? Did you watch the movie first, or what? What's the sitch? Yeah, so I had seen the movie before, so I watched the movie first, but um, it had been a while, and honestly, I think I watched it the first time late at night, and I didn't remember a whole lot, which I was kind of surprised. Usually I remember 
uh, most of what I've watched, but <clears throat> I didn't remember most of Rear Window, so it was kind of like a very nice refresher yeah. for me. Um, so yeah, I watched the movie first, and then I read the short story the morning after I watched it. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So you we read the short story um, you know, at the day that we are recording this earlier today. Yeah, I read it this morning. Okay, cool. And I kind of skimmed it, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's a pretty dense 13 pages. Um, it's, yeah. It's still short, but I there mean... There was a lot going on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. Um, I would say that the movie has more going on, uh, which we'll get into in a second. But um, So I read it Sunday night, and then I watched the movie um, last night. So I, I've experienced both of these stories in only a matter of two or three days. Um so most of this is quite fresh in my mind. Um, yeah. So why don't we get into the short story first before we transition into our most likely uh, severe rant that will be uh, <laughs> um, Rear Window in, in terms of the yeah. movie. So yeah. um, overall, what were your thoughts on the uh, the short story? Um, I, I really enjoyed the concept. Um, and it was something that was taken and turned into a motif in uh, the movie, the adaptation of it. But uh, the concept itself was really cool of somebody witnessing a murder through their back window. Um, it, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And on top of it, on top of that, the, the main character is inhibited. Um, yeah. And so, Which we don't know until the end of the story. Well, they allude to it in the beginning, but they don't directly say yeah. his leg is broken. Right. They don't. He doesn't ever explain why in the short story. He's just like, it's I in can't. the first scene. Yeah. yeah. It's in the first scene of the movie. It's like, oh, okay, that's that's why that's happening. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, in the in the short story, you don't really know why. You just know he can't really do anything about things that he's seeing, which is really interesting because as a concept, you have a person who witnesses a murder, but they can't do anything about it physically. Mm. You know, how would, what do you do? Do you leave it alone? Do you pursue it further? Do you, I don't know. Um, it was a really cool concept. Um, and it was very dense. That seemed like something that could have been a whole book. Right. Or at least a novella yeah. to me. Um, the pacing was super quick for a short story. Um, but it, see, it also achieved what you want every short story to give you was an emotional payoff or a huge affect at the end of it mm -hmm. for the reader. And it definitely does that, um, which is probably why it was adapted the way it was, because movies and short stories aim to have similar effects upon their consumer. Yeah. <clears throat> but I don't know. It was... I think because I'd seen the movie beforehand, it didn't have quite the same effect as it might have had I read it first. Mm -hmm. And if anybody else is going to do this little experiment going forward, I would say read it first. Um, I agree. You get a little bit. You get a little bit more of the hit and the. I don't know. It just kind of feels more impactful if you read it before you watch it, mm -hmm. uh, because when you watch it, there's so much more buildup and it's not as quick. And um, the short story, t I, it just hits a little bit harder. I don't know exactly why. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that today, and I was like, you know, why did the short story affect me a little bit more than the movie did? But it, it wasn't like in a, it was a better than the movie kind of thing, because um, I would probably actually argue the opposite. But it affected me much more, mm -hmm. the short story did. And, you know, I was really intrigued you know, thinking about it, like, I wonder why that was. And I don't, I don't really have like a, a thing to say, oh, here's why. Like, I don't know. But so my consensus on that is we were talking a little bit about this, at least I was with amongst my friends. And I think the contrast between the short story and the movie and maybe why it hits a little bit different is that in my opinion, the short story feels thematically darker than the yeah. movie does the movie almost feels a little happy-go-lucky 
Um, it does has happier music. It does it does have its suspense and everything, but it feels like these characters all have you know they have joyous banter and and charisma, which I love about yeah. it. But the short yeah. story is like it's about this one man and his manservant, which um, <laughs> it has been. I mean, well, yeah, practically he's a his slave secretary. It, he's a because yeah. he's they were like it's. I, I have been told that he was actually a black guy and that this man basically mm. um, had him as, not as a as a slave because it's like past slavery, but through the family bloodline of whatever he did, like this is kind of his manservant guy. Um, so it's just these two guys and you don't really know much about the main character other than his name. And yep. it's it just feels darker, especially with like the way the way the murder um Thorwald gets away with the murder. Um, And I think like (laughs) it's weird. I feel like the uh, the short story could be an amazing Denis Villeneuve movie (laughs) where like it could be it's like it reminds me a lot of prisoners where I'm like at this point where um, I'm reading the short story and I didn't have this moment in the movie In the short story I'm reading this and I'm like oh there's a lot of signs that are going on here and then as soon as the uh, his uh, friend in the police force police force finds uh, the woman in, in, the, in their case, I'm like, oh, the main character is crazy. Like he is making up all this stuff because he is yeah. isolated in his house and he can't do anything. He's just like he's obsessed. This guy has not murdered anyone. And then I, and so I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't really get on board with the protagonist. And then as more things develop, develop, I'm like. Oh, okay. No, maybe he's not crazy. And it, and it's constantly that question back and forth: is is the guy is is he actually onto something, or is he completely right. delusional right now? And that's I did enjoy that a whole lot because uh, when you kind of go back and forth about a character, that's really good. Like a a true psychological thriller makes you go back and forth, mm-hmm. makes you debate on you know what's real, what's not real. Um, I think of like a book. Um, a book called The Girl on the Train, where yes. the protagonist is a mess, a total wreck. Mm-hmm. And you totally go back and forth with like, yeah, she's totally making this up. And then you're like, eh, that might be real. Yeah. And then later you figure out, oh, yeah, that was actually that actually happened. Um, and that did happen in the short story, and that was really cool. Um, the one thing you got, ob- I mean, obviously, in the short story that you didn't get in the movie was you get to see in uh, Jeffrey's mind. Mm-hmm. And um, it that I think does make it darker because, like you said, he's um he's not very savory, you know. He's not a great, easy to pull for protagonist. No. If that makes sense, um, he's not a great guy. And you get a little bit of that in the movie, but in a different way. He's just jaded, really, I guess. So interesting. I think I have kind of the opposite uh, take on that. I think. In the book, because he has a little bit less personality, like I don't think he is as like dislikable, or maybe even uh, you know he's not as uh, I, I, you don't feel as strongly either way. Whereas in the movie, not gonna lie, thought Jeffries was a total dick, uh, <laughs> he- <laughs> and I think the reason because of that is because of the characters he has by his sides and the way he treats them. Um, yeah. He's a lot more temperamental and uh, sarcastic and just, frankly, a bit of an ass. Like, especially with yeah, his girlfriend. Yeah, but it's, like, so, it's so, like, it's such, like, a cinematic assholeness. Yeah, you know? that's true. Like, yeah. it's not real. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it never it never comes across like, yeah, that's how people are. Like, that's how jerks act. Mm-hmm. Like, no. He's still so nice of a jerk, you know? Yeah, but, like, he okay, the thing is, like, he has this perfect girlfriend, right? And, yeah. like, he's he has this job where he's, like, clearly that he's this photographer, which in the short story, Jeffries is not a photographer. He's just, like, this guy who's well off. Um, yeah. You know, Jeffries in the short story, in the movie, pardon me, is a lot more of an everyday man. And he's, like, he has this girl, right? He has uh, Lisa, who is just, like, this knockout of a woman like literally she is <laughs> she the walks in ticks. and i'm like how did he pull her yeah she ticks every freaking box and he's like she's too perfect i'm like yeah i was like come on 
that was say psych right now. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I was like, wait a minute. His one reason and but see that's why I loved his masseuse insurance person, whatever that job that she was doing. Basically, was. Anyway, yeah. He's like yeah, he kind of like his little house nurse lady. Right. That's uh, she was Stella. so good. She was so good. Oh, she's she my favorite. Like, You're dumb. Yeah. She's like <laughs> and dude, she was spitting facts. Fire. She was spitting. She was literally like, okay, that scene, I had forgotten that the dialogue was so good. Dude, the dialogue throughout the entire movie is phenomenal. It's incredible. I one other thing that I mentioned in, in my class today, um, was that I love how the dialogue it feels so real and engaging. People stutter yes. and stammer and will pause themselves to restart their sentences because they want to say something else or didn't mean to say something. They take pauses at the right moment. Like, these people sell it, and it makes it... Yeah. Th- that's one of the... I don't even see that in some modern-day movies, even. Um, I was literally thinking that watching it. I was like, man, this dialogue... It felt like an Aaron Sorkin-written script. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had that similar, like... Uh, colorful wordplay where characters are really playing off one another and it's witty and it's very bantery, but they're yeah. getting somewhere with it. Um, it did I like it was traditional in the sense that each scene was a closed block and there was no like uh, continuation mm-hmm. between the scenes, you know, like it was obvious that they were going to start here at this point and then they were going to go all the way to this end point here and it was going to be like a five to ten minute journey. Yeah. And we're going to get there. And then at the end of it, okay, end, end loop or end, end section. And then it was like, okay, now we're going to the next section. Right. Um, but the, the way the characters interacted with one another was so good. Um, I love when the cop shows up at first. Yeah. And... And he's like, you need anything else? As he's about to leave after talking to Jeffries, and he, Jeffries can't convince him that what he saw was real. And he's about to leave, and he's like, you need anything else? And Jeffries goes, a better damn cop. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love just, that. It's so good. It's so good. Also, it's so good. same thing later, and, and I'll get into this into a second, about kind of the, the subplots, the side stories of these other windows. One that mm-hmm. I loved in the movie, and I loved all of them, to be frank, because they're so... Uh, they're different and they all feel like it feels like there's like five stories going on with like one overarching uh, plot. But with uh, they called her Miss Torso is her name. Uh, And he's (laughs) like staring at her. The, uh, the cop is uh, the the detective and, and then he just says, how's your wife? How's your wife? And he's like, she's (laughs) fine. She's good. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is great. Um, Yeah. I, I, it's just stuff like that, that like I was, I laughed a lot throughout the entire movie. Um, I did too. And, I will say because I read the short story beforehand, I felt like I, I felt like I knew where everything was mostly going. But the, them adding those new characters in really changed it up, and especially those other windows being mm-hmm. prominent focuses. The short story, you know, he briefly acknowledges um, some of the other windows. Um, one where there's a couple who he like trips over. Uh, the rug every time or something and like forgets to turn off the light. There's another one. Yeah. Um, oh God of like, I don't even remember like all of the ones cause they were just, they were so like brief mentions cause he's trying, I'm trying to, to remember. Did they have like the, like was Miss Torso even in the short story and like no. Miss Lonely Hearts or anything like that? No, those, that was all Hitchcock. The, yeah. Those two and the piano guy. Um, and the uh, the couple with the closed the, the closed shutter, ones. yeah, the newlyweds. I don't think any of those were in the short story. Um, but there was that lady though that was talking to um, Thorwald about the dog, right? Uh, there was no, there, there was, was no, one, there was no, there was dog. one that I remember. Uh, that's right, there was no dog. Yeah, there's no dog in the thing. So, um, I think what's what's good about them adapting a short to a movie is that they can take the basic premise of that short story because it, you know, a short story is very bite sized, read it in an hour or two or maybe even less. And you get a cool story. The movie, it's like, 
you have a lot to build off of and you can add on to it. Whereas most of the mm-hmm. times, if there's a movie adapting a book, for example, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, you have to cut out a lot of stuff, especially Lord of the Rings. Good Lord. Um, yeah. This is the complete inverse and they add a lot of great material to it. Um, but even then, I'm like, man, I would love to see that darker toned, um, that darker toned short story because it, it's darker like it like both literally and figuratively like in terms of what happens um and like what happens to certain characters or even um the tension i think of the towards the that third act of the short story which is probably my favorite in the entire thing is he's on there in the phone right and the line gets cut and he's like Oh no. Yep. He's he's like that's the only way it could get cut is either underground or if someone was like in here or very close by with me and he's like he's here. So he strategically gets this bust and props it up in this dark room where this guy can't see it and the guy has a gun and so, mm-hmm. and immediately he comes in and he blasts the uh the statue and then he tries to shoot him again and escapes through the window and the way he dies is like very brutal like he pretty much he's running on the rooftops or these like the scaffolding the fire escapes whatever it may be they don't yeah it's not very vivid but like i was imagining like him running and he gets shot at or he gets hit and basically just like plummets to his death after hitting like falling and tripping and um and then and the that way, doesn't happen in the movie that doesn't happen at all in fact no. i think the third act of the movie is the worst part of that movie. Um, I was yeah. almost crying of laughter when Thorwald comes into his apartment. Um, that part was so funny to me. I'm so I watched it with two friend two friends of mine that are also yeah. in the class, and so you know Thorwald is walking up. He comes in the house and he sees him, and so doesn't have a gun because um, I guess that's too too much or whatever. I don't, maybe, maybe they just don't want him to have a gun. Maybe they want him to be more of an everyday man. Um, and (laughs) Jeffrey's idea is I'm gonna get a really bright camera and flash the guy. So he does it. And the guy for, you know, the first time I was like, okay, sure. Like he blinds him. Maybe that gives him some time to escape or something like that. Right? No, he does it two or three more times. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get up out of my chair for demonstration. Nobody can see this, but, uh, you know, uh, Josh can give you the play by play. (laughs) He is slowly walking and goes, ah, puts his hands up in front of his head. And then he's walking again ah, like that. And I'm like, yo, just just block your eyes and run at him. It's not that hard. He's in a wheelchair. Like, (sighs) and it's just so goofy. Whereas, like, in the short story, it's like this man comes in with a gun, like, Blow, like yeah. he tries to kill him and he realizes he has to escape and just dies in this horrific way and it just was like maybe it's a sign of the time of the filmmaking but like I don't know it's like that those moments right there made it feel less suspenseful because I'm like this guy is just Jason Voorhees walking up to him right now and trying to throw him out a window and also oh man that window fall that window fall that was corny yeah yeah also did you notice at the very end of the movie like how everybody was like speed running like basically they sped up the footage toward they're moving like three times faster uh-uh. you didn't notice that oh man so there's some parts where all of the people are like trying to see what's happening and they're yeah. running and they're like like they're moving really fast like basically they were they filmed it like they were running regularly and they yeah. just they sped up the speed i think two times so they're just moving like unnaturally fast like that's weird uh, did you notice the helicopter at the beginning of the movie that looked yeah. was like floating so weird yeah so basically it was like they took an image and they basically put it on the screen they superimposed it right yeah. and it just makes it look like it's just standing there while the helicopter is like floating in and it's okay it looked so bizarre but listen you know it's hard it to was critique. made in like 1954 maybe yeah it was, it was in like the that. 50s and so it's like Back then, like that, like that's us being so nitpicky, because yeah. that was the, those are the parts that made me like it fell flat for me. If it, if right. Hitchcock was alive, say he was not born when he was, he was born in a modern age, and presumably still became a filmmaker. I mean, it definitely wouldn't look like that, you know. It would look right, and so right. that's just that. Like I said, a sign of the times, what he, he what he had to work with. Um, My only true nitpick. So the movie is really well done and you do have to take into account 
when it was made because that's like a big portion of your understanding of okay I may feel XYZ about this movie but you also have to take into account this was made in like 1954 big big difference between 1954 and 2020 that is 70 years of filmmaking knowledge that we're able to apply to movies that are made today huge difference so there's some things that you know we found goofy but like okay 1954 the only thing that i felt up until like the very end because i was like this is not an old movie thing this is just like a storytelling thing Mm -hmm. was it felt like there was no stakes at all um because it was like they're just a fly on a wall watching this guy do stuff right and there's no consequences for them doing anything until the very end and even then it was like okay yeah. it's kind of corny but um i felt for the entire second act when he witnesses the crime i'm like okay cool like this dude wouldn't know you exist but like you're staring at him through a window for days mm-hmm. you're talking about it constantly you're like following him you're checking up on him and nothing happens and right. i'm like the whole time I'm thinking, like, when is this dude going to show up and make you run away? Like, yeah. when is the moment when Thorwald is going to show up in your apartment and you're going to have to figure out how to run away or be killed? And, you know, I I didn't know. I mean, I kind of knew the ending and stuff, but, like, I'd forgotten the, almost the entire thing. And if I'd have read the short story beforehand, I probably would not have worried about that at all. But yeah. it just felt like... The if you watch the movie first, you may think, oh, there's no stakes. And there are, but like they're just not very impactful stakes. It I just think, feels like he's gonna get away with it and it's gonna be fine because he's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. I think the one part that there is very heavy stakes is when um is when not Stella, but um drawing a blank on her name again, uh his girlfriend goes into yeah. Thor Walls of Lisa, correct? Um, yeah, that felt kind of good. Yeah. I remember seeing that and being like, oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah. still, we're so far away. Like, we're not there. Yeah. I wanted to be, like, right behind her. I want the camera to be on her. Yeah. I want to see, like, what she sees. Because from the the rear windows, and I get that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. Uh, seeing things, voyeurism. Seeing, looking in on other people's lives, being in people in time. I get that that's the point, but... I want to be right in the thick of it because I feel like that's where it's most intense. Yeah. And yes, it was a little bit, but it still was like, yeah. Yeah. It, th- yeah, I get that. And, but I also think that's part of the charm of the movie is that it's all from this one window. Like we almost yeah. never get a shot outside of his apartment. Um, right. And I think that's, that's just so cool to me. I honestly, I think the it cinematography is, cool. is incredible in this movie. Um, the cinematography for the time is extremely well done. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, there's moments where it's like, eh, I wish that was a little bit st-. like you can tell it's handheld. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays that would have been done by a dolly or a crane. Yeah. But again, 1954. Um, th- th- another thing I wish was really kind of played with a little bit more was the whole thing about the dog digging in the garden and like what's there. I felt like that was left a little bit open-ended. Um, I think that could have been a really nice touch mm-hmm. to further emphasize it. Cause like, I think everybody knows what's there. Um, but it's like, okay, in the movie seven, we never know what's inside the box, but yeah. it is so impactful to the story. Um, we never know what's in that flower bed. Well, we do. Window. We, we, we do, but like, we also know in seven, like we know what's there, but we never see it. We never like come in contact with it as an audience. Well, for and me, it's still, it just hits so much harder. Yeah. And in rear window, it was like, hey, give me a little bit more of, I don't know, maybe tease it with an image or make that your closing shot or Give us just a little bit more than just, oh, he killed the dog because, oh, because the dog was digging where he buried us all. Like, that's dumb. So, oh, okay. Well, so the way I interpreted it, or at least the way I picked it up, and maybe I was incorrect, I thought the reason they didn't show it is because the way they explained it, at least, 
he buried the body in the or the body parts in the flower garden. The Mm-mm. and then what happened was as the dog started digging it up, so he relocated the body parts to the East River. That's what they said. Oh. He did say okay, that he was just like he said, We're gonna go take a tour at the East River when they arrested him. Oh. And so that's how I thought is like basically but then it doesn't make any sense to why he killed the dog. Because it's like, okay, you covered your tracks, you dug it up, you got rid of the body parts, and you put them in the river. Why yeah. did you kill the dog again? You know? I thought the whole time that the saw was in the flower bed. I think I missed that. Why would he um, put the saw in the flower bed? I don't know. I know we see him <laughs> like we see him like with the the machete like handsaw yeah, thing. Yeah. And he's and like that's what I thought off. would and he wrapped it up in newspaper and that's what I was like, okay, that's that's what's in the flower bed. Um at first I did think, okay, is the dog digging up body parts? But then I was like, no, he's not gonna bury his wife's body in his garden. You know how stupid that is? See, I think he did it first and then the dog the dog started catching on and kept on digging it up, so he was like, All right. They did make the note of, uh, Lisa says that the flower is like lower. Yeah. And so she's like, there's something there. So I'm thinking, okay, if there's a body there, wouldn't it raise the flower bed? Wouldn't it raise the bed? Because even if it's body parts, like that covers more space than just a saw. That's what I like also better in the short story is that has how he hid the body. It's incredible the way they did it. And it's also so much more creative and demented like he basically creative and demented is a perfect union for this kind of story yeah and i do agree that the short story does hit so much better because it 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 has all the aspects yeah that you would want to be like the body's buried a little bit better the 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 villain is a little bit smarter he's more brutal stakes are higher and your protagonist is gone at the end. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, so, the you know, the way it's unfolding in the short story was very, very suspenseful to me because I'm like, but I was also confused. I'm like, I'm waiting for the, the explanation of this. I'm like, what am I not getting right now? So basically yeah. he's seeing these people all on the, like, the different levels and he knew that the fifth floor or whatever was being renovated. They're, they were reflooring them each at a time. And he noticed that when all three of the guys were walking, like they were all out, just happened to be by chance at the same time that one was higher than the other at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's not right. Like the concrete would be at the same height because it's all being done with the same people or whatever. So the guy like just buried his wife's body in the concrete and f- level put it up a little bit higher. And that was the key. And that's just yep. like to me is just like, way more sadistic and threatening for that for Thorwald's character because yep. I'm not going to lie I was not intimidated by Thorwald in the slightest in the in, movie in the movie no no not he's at just all. like this kind of I mean he looks like me if he if I was like 60 like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he looks like a guy and they describe him as a salesman and he kills his wife to run away with another woman it's yeah. like yeah yeah, <laughs> like, like he, he's just not in, in the short story. They describe him as like a dark haired Scandinavian looking man, like someone who I thought of him as Swedish in the book. I read yeah. him as a Swedish person. I just imagine him looking really just a lot grimier, and, but not yeah. in the sense that like he's just dirty, but in the sense that like he kind of has that look in his eyes, you know? Um, yep. So how about this? Uh, we'll take a quick break here in a second. When we come back, let's explain how all of these issues could be a weird window and it still be considered a fantastic movie by both of us. Sounds like we're going to take a quick break and talk about some worlds we've been exploring. Grayson. Hello. What's up, dude? How many, uh, how many worlds have you explored in the past? That sounds like how many, uh, How many times have you gotten high? Uh, actually, I mean, <laughs> I've been what tripping balls, been in- man. <laughs> <laughs> what worlds have you been exploring recently? Um, I can't say many because clearly we're talking about Rear Window, but that's besides the point. Um, you know, that's that that's kind of been my focus. Um, I don't know if this it it 
does. I think it counts. Um, so I went to Disney for my birthday. I went to dude. Dis- I went to happy Gap- birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Happy twenty first freaking birthday, my you, dude. You've already told me, but I mean, it's you know. I gotta say it in public. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, for my twenty first birthday, um, I went to Hollywood Studios to Galaxy's Edge for uh, or with my family, and that in it. In and of itself, the way they crafted that park is kind of like exploring a story. Um, they are very particular about keeping it cohesive with the Star Wars continuity Universe. and canon. Um, so in terms of what characters are there, what time period it takes place, um, the locations of things, um, you know, everything is interconnected. And that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars is how they have this entirely interconnected universe. So like... You know, we go in and I'm like, okay, this is incredible. The details on all of this stuff is just mind boggling. I mean, from everything from the lights to like power converters to um, to droids to ships. I mean, it's insane. And then you get like the first place I went was uh, was I went to go get some lightsabers and I spent way too much money on. But it's okay. Of course. Um, <laughs> like you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a little, I'm dying right now for some money, but that's okay. We're, you know, I'm gonna be working a lot anyway. So we went into this lightsaber shop, and these people are like explaining all these lightsabers as if like they were somehow you know passed down to the shop or like replicas were made it or made, and they're explaining the backstory. And me being the Star Wars nerd I am, like I know all of this stuff. You don't have to tell me what it is. Like I know every single lightsaber where it came from, what it <laughs> appeared in. Like don't you know? Don't even try. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know more. Yeah. Than you, <laughs> but I mean, I'm I'm not gonna be like, shut up. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and like that was amazing, and I'm having this like conversation, like almost like I'm actually bartering with a lightsaber, like you know, that's pretty cool. Black market dealer, and then there's like Doc on Dars, which I was a character was mentioned in Solo, and like basically that's like a um that's like an antique shop. So there's like Jedi stuff, and there's like stuff on the wall that's absolutely insane. I mean, there's General Grievous's cape to the Mandalorian's helmet to the Seventh Sister's helmet to, like, all the blaster rifles you can possibly think of. Stormtroopers, battle droids, assassin droids, like, anything and everything from every corner of the Star Wars universe. I'm like, they are telling such a unique story through this park. Same thing with all the rides. I mean, riding the Millennium Falcon, which was incredible. I mean... The, all the characters that you interact with, you go to Corellia and you're taking this coaxium, which appeared in Solo, but you're you're not um, under the guise of Han Solo. Like basically, this is in the time when he didn't have his ship, and so right. it's um, it's uh, Hondo from the Clone Wars. He's the one who's like telling you everything, and it's awesome. I love it. Um, the animatronics, oh my god! Like it's all so meticul- meticulously placed, and yeah. That, so in it, like I literally was exploring. A world, not not, not like, not in, not in, in the, the traditional sense, sense that we've established, but right. like in a like a real sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then lastly, um, I have to mention this. Um, if I don't, I have failed as a human being. I rewatched uh, Black Panther for the first time in a yeah. while. Um, yep. I actually was going to watch it before I even went to uh, the park. Um, it, it's been downloaded on my iPad for a while. And then the day the day that I had gone to Galaxy's Edge that night um, passed, and that was just crushing, um, to say the least. Um, he he is from where I am from, and um, it so it struck a little closer to home, especially with his age and just how profoundly impactful he was for um, for culture and for yeah yeah. Um, for and culture so like, and film, yeah. That, so I rewatched Black Panther, and um, and yeah, I mean, I somehow it it actually was like impressed me even more. Um, like I, you know, I'd never been like a huge uh, Black Panther fan. I never disliked the movie. I just thought it wasn't like as good as people made it out to be. But I was watching it, and I'm like, right, wow, there's a lot more here than I yep. remember. Um, the CGI and everything still doesn't hold up that great, but I mean. All the performances, there is not a single performance that is subpar in this movie. Chadwick yeah. Boseman, um, Michael B. Jordan, Andy freaking Circus. He, he dude, dude Claw, like, He's Claw, so he good is, Claw. They, they did him dirty, man. Why did he die? Like, I'm upset. Uh, anyway, um, 
yeah, Black Panther, I uh, it definitely bumped up a little bit in terms of my ranking of uh, of Marvel movies, and um, so yeah, that's what I have been exploring. What about yourself, my fine friend? Well, I also did the obligatory uh, Black Panther rewatch. Um, I think I'm probably going to go back and see some more of his films as well. I'd, I'd seen 42. I'd also seen uh, mm. Get On Up. Uh, but I do want to see Marshall, a movie he made about Thurgood Marshall. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. His his passing was really, really surprising. Real, I mean, really, 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 really surprising. And, you know, we found out we were recording an episode of Comic Blast, which we decided yeah, we weren't going to release sudden, because tragic. of just the, the circumstances of it all. But you told, yeah, you told Keenan mid-recording and we just yeah. all kind of were like, oh my God, like we just, like, what do you do? What do you do after getting that kind of news? So um, that was rough. But um, other than that, I... Uh, I watched Ready or Not. Fantastic which movie. Was surprisingly yes. really good. Yeah, I was so hesitant to watch it because I was like, this is a genre or a. It's basically a movie I've seen a bajillion times. Like the whole concept of you go into this old house and people are going to kill you for a ritual like it just seems like it's literally the concept the underlying concept of get out it's the underlying concept of uh mm. like it it's played upon a little bit in knives out it's like a little derivative just that kind of thing you see it everywhere it's so derivative and so when i see it and i'm like oh <laughs> awesome they're gonna pick every single genre trope you can possibly have yeah. for this type of movie and put it in this movie. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. This movie's going to suck. And then I watched it. And they yeah. subverted and played with them, all of them. Like, mm -hmm. it was so much different than I thought it would end up. I was so surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Because everything I thought was going to happen didn't happen. And you could kind of like... It was not the movie that you watch the first few scenes and you can predict the rest of the movie at all. You could start to figure it out by like the about halfway through the second act. You're like, oh, I could kind of see. And then when the major twist happens, it's like, uh, I, I mean, it wasn't like completely out of left field. They gave you some things where you're like, oh, I could see that happening. They opened that door. But the like, movie at is the same bonkers. time, it was still super it's, surprising. It I love it. I, I the performances, the it's like, so bonkers. The God, I, I mean, I, everything. Like, I, there's not even not even a reason for me to list it. Like, the it's just so well done, and I can't help but smile when I think about that movie because I was like that. That was a movie I wanted to see in yeah. theaters really, really badly. It came out about a year ago, and when I got HBO Max, I saw it was on there, yeah. and it, someone had mentioned that it was. So I was like, watching that now because I. So yeah. To be fair, um, mm -hmm. after watching it and kind of doing some digging into the people that made it, I think it was more of a lucky thing really? than it was the filmmakers uh, are great. Because I think I, mm. I have done some digging into the other movies and they're pretty terrible. Um, and they're all but horror But this doesn't films, even feel like that much. So this is like, like oh, there, there, there is horror. But if, it feels yeah. like a thriller. There's horror, but like not really. It was more of a thriller. It's also My mom so funny. watched it. Um, it it was very much. Yeah. It's really funny. It's really really. F I love. Yeah, I don't. Remember. It's like there's the, a couple of characters in that movie that are fantastic. Because it it's obvious. Like, oh, we're gonna have people cold bloodedly kill this person, especially like the in laws. Of, but right? like the people that, that, that weren't raising so, it, like they just get, they, you know they they married into right. it, and they're just kind of like. Uh, I don't want to do this. Like the, there's like the yeah, one like, guy uh, who's like the. I don't um, freaking want to kill you. He's like, like the, do I have to? The step or like the son-in-law or whatever for like the the the. the he's like a cousin or something. Uh, and the matriarch and like yeah, he's just like, he's so like just doesn't care. Yeah, but I love him because he's like he's so dumb. 
Yeah. He's watching videos about how he's yeah. like, here's how to learn your crossbow. And it just like, and I was like, it does have a lot of those uh, Jordan Peele esque <laughs> things, but um, also Samara Weaving is a great actress. Yeah. Samara Weaving is really, 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 really dynamic. Um, but I think. I don't know if they were to come out with another film, if yeah. it would be as good. I think they just kind of hit all the right notes. And sometimes that happens. Like yeah. sometimes things come together and it just goes all right. And sometimes the opposite happens. Everything goes all wrong. But I think the concept was not great mm-hmm. at the start because it's so easily derivative that I was like, I mean, you really have to play your cards right for this to work. And I think they did. Yeah. And the movie came out. I think really, really good. And so I was excited. I was very happy I watched it. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, so yeah, that was awesome. Oh, nice. Um, and then I also yeah, rewatched that's a Ratatouille solid with my you little brother. You can't go wrong with Ratatouille. Which was great. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. so, it just makes I've been wanting to rewatch Ratatouille as well, funnily enough. So <laughs> Like it's just um, so good. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'll do that if I get some time. Um, I should say uh, maybe next week. Probably, I, I would say it will, it's a big world that we'll be exploring because uh, I would like to, uh, to talk after we see Tenet this. I think so. We're going to probably so. dedicate we, a whole episode next week we, to Tenet. We will and we must. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's in order. Um, yep. Yep. So we'll hop back into uh, the episode and we're going to kind of explain now that we've kind of really torn apart Rio Rindo, explain why it's really, really good. So uh, I basically, we, we spent 30-ish minutes explaining how Rear Window is probably the inferior version yeah. of that story. Yeah. But I, I would say in terms of just the story itself, I liked the short story better. It hit more, the, the stakes were higher, the villain was better, he was more intelligent, and the protagonist wasn't as... He, in the, I felt he was he, a little bit flat yeah. for me in the movie compared to the short story. I think he was a little bit more dynamic in the short story. Um, but all of that being said... I have to agree. Um, and, you know, when I saw, before I even watched the movie, I saw that it had like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, 100% on Metacritic. And I was like, no way. And I was right. No way. It's not that, it's not 100%. Like, but yeah. it's, no. And that's the thing is with older movies, right? Not they, by today's standards. They get that traction. They get that snowball effect. And they go down in history, you know. Um, and as they time goes on, they're going to just get more and more iconic. Yeah. I mean, we think it's just a nostalgia thing. And especially for, for people who are really into film and, and love Hitchcock, yeah. who revolutionary director um, of all time. I mean, funny enough, I came away from this movie thinking, eh, he's not as great as I remember him being, you know, I think I, I put him up on a pedestal a little bit. And I think a lot of people do this too, where it's like, Oh, it's Hitchcock. And you compare him to, to people who've made, movies like a Nolan or a Francis Ford Coppola or like yeah and it's like we probably wouldn't have a, a lot of the, the directors OG. we have now without him and it's it's a domino effect where he was kind of this yeah. spark that uh, that ignited a lot of people's passions for film and just influenced film greatly with every piece of work that he mm-hmm. did and Rear Window is no different um and I know you said before you rewatched yeah. it, it was your favorite Hitchcock movie. Does that still stay true? I think so. Um, I have a collection of Hitchcock movies, and I haven't seen all of them. But from what I've seen, Rear Window is my favorite. I don't personally love Psycho mm-hmm. that much, and I think that's the one that everybody says is his best. Yeah. It felt really corny to me. Um, yeah. All the stuff that people say is great about it, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Um, and some of that is that these movies are made in the forties and the fifties and sixties, but some of it is also just kind of the execution. And I, I don't know how much of these films would change. Would they be remade today? Like I would love a rear window remake that was 
darker. So I have something interesting for you. This is a movie that I was unaware of, but a friend of ours uh, brought this up that it seemed, when she was reading the story, it seemed very familiar. Um, there is a movie with Shia LaBeouf, and I am trying to remember what this movie is called because it's, uh, it's, um, it's late and I'm drawing, drawing a blank, so I'm going to look it up for you real quick. But it is um, a modern-day rendition that is much darker. Can I? Disturbia. Disturbia. That is the name of the movie. Write that down. Um, I feel like I've heard of that. It has. It's got a pretty decent uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. So nothing, not like anything crazy low uh, or super high. But it is the concept is very similar, where basically a high schooler um, is convinced that his uh, neighbor is a serial killer, and that's pretty and cool. Sh- yeah, Shia LaBeouf is the is the lead. So um, I was highly intrigued by that. And that story, and when I looked on the Wikipedia, it was directly inspired by it had to be murder and rear window. So that's pretty cool because I think this story is best served with the side of Disturbia. Um, it's best served very disturbing, and uh, the rear window didn't get into the disturbing side of all of it. But I think for one thing alone well two things there's two things that make this movie extremely good uh the first one we've touched on already well we've touched on both of them actually but uh the the dialogue for this film is so above and beyond its time like it is transcendently good holds up Um, even beyond most modern day standards yes uh movies made in the 50s just aren't that well written Mm -hmm. i don't know how else to describe but you uh, you watch other movies like uh, John Wayne Western movies. Yep. Like the dialogue is so stale, so flat. There's no wordplay. There's no interplay between characters. There's no like true, like you can see these people existing. Yeah. And in Rear Window, the dialogue is exceptional, mm-hmm. especially for the time. Like I compare it to Aaron Sorkin, and that's incredibly high praise because Aaron Sorkin is like the best of the best for modern standards. Yep. And dialogue, the standards for good dialogue has, they've gotten so much higher. Dialogue, like dialogue is the has hardest to be incredible. thing to do. It's so hard to mm-hmm. do. It's so hard to do. You kind of have like a feel for it. It's one of those things you can either really do or you can't. Yep. Like you can learn how to write dialogue, but it's something that you just kind of innately have a feel for more than you're a great technically dialogue. Like it's just a thing you have a feel for as a writer. It's not necessarily something that complete, completely taught to the highest level. Yep. You can get most of the way there, but you can't get that extra little bit through being taught through technique. Um, the dialogue in this movie, it's very much dialogue that you see is that next level. The writer had a great feel for dialogue mm-hmm. and you can feel it from the first scene. I mean, as soon as Stella walks in, it's like, oh, crap, this is really good. Um, and it's just because the way they're talking to one another and the things they're saying and how they're saying it is extremely entertaining. And that's kind of difficult to do because this is a very dialogue-heavy movie. Um, like we said, that not much happens outside of this very tiny apartment. But you can see the subplots being threaded just through dialogue yep. and that's really really cool you're not seeing much as as much as you're watching people talk and and give you feed you information um there's never much like info dumps um you learn just enough uh to get you through the scene and then should you need more information it'll come to you later uh really 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 well done with the dialogue and honestly for that reason alone like it's Incredible. Yeah. Um, Probably my favorite aspect of the movie, for sure. Yeah, for sure. 100%. The best part about this movie is the dialogue. Um, Another thing is the cinematography is beyond its time Mm. as well. And that's also something you kind of have to take with a grain of understanding and with a grain of salt because it was made 70 years ago. And you just kind of have to look at other movies made around the same time to realize it's better than most of them. Um, it's not Citizen Kane, but Citizen Kane is also like, it's good compared to movies now. Yeah. And that movie's 80 years old. So Citizen Kane might be the most transcendent movie ever made, but that's like, 
Citizen Kane's up here. Yeah. <laughs> like it is, it's on a pedestal above. You hear more about all Citizen the other Kane movies. than you do Rear Window. Right, right. Um, but that being said, Rear Window's cinematography is extremely impressive for what it is. Yeah. And to tell a story with such a limited set, with just, there's so little to look at. Um, Which, by the way, shots. speaking of that set, they created that entire thing. That's yeah, yeah which is one hundred percent, which it. is pretty astounding. And they also had to yeah. break; the, it wasn't tall enough, so they had to like break down into the ground of the studio that they had to make it deeper. That's super cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, there's some predictable shots, like when characters enter uh, Jeffrey's apartment, they do the exact same. Uh, over the shoulder shot of him he's always on the right third and the left third is dead space and you're like oh somebody's about to walk in because that left third is the door yep it's you know that kind of bugged me oh really because i was like it bugged me because i was like oh i know what's about to happen i would rather have been surprised it's true um but it it was the same shot like uh, probably three or four times i noticed Mm -hmm. it and i was like yeah okay um but it other than that, that might have been my one nitpick about the cinematography. Other than that, um, even the stuff where they superimpose things, I kind of just give it a pass yeah, because same. of the time and it was made. Like the helicopter looks really goofy now, but a whole heck of a lot of things look really goofy. I don't now. think there's a single thing that I can truly sin except for the fact that just Thorwald walking in in his slow serial yeah. killer manner, acting like a complete buffoon. It just it just grinds my gears, man. Like I'm just like, dude, yeah. like why are you so dumb? Like you did all this stuff yeah. to kill your wife and you can't just rush this guy and yeet him out the window? Like <laughs> <laughs> Like, dude, the guy the guy is using a glorified flashlight that's not even permanently on. It's just like blah. All right, hold yeah. on one second. Like, come on, man. But um yeah, I wanna say the last thing that really impresses me about this movie, um, is just I love all the side stories. I think that adds so yeah. much more uh, to the pacing of it. I mean, especially with um, Lonely Heart and Torso. And I can't remember the name of... Uh, Lonely Hearts and Torso are so good. But also the piano, piano guy, guy is so dynamic yeah. because they have to tell you stories about these characters without you hearing anything. Yeah, Like, they're saying stuff, you can tell, but it's very low and muted. Yeah. And you just kind of have to see through their body language what's happening. Yeah. And that's just like such a cool way of, of storytelling. Um, it was so good. Hitch, you could tell that that was Hitchcock. In fact, he was actually in the piano guy's apartment. That's what I thought. When I was watching it, I was like, was that that's Hitchcock? Hitchcock? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. He placed himself in there. That's sick. Um, but that that's one of his like things is telling you a lot with a little. That, and that's, um, that's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. Um for the time, like we say he's the OG, like he is the master. They call him the master of suspense. And I don't know if that's a great title for him now because his movies are not overly suspenseful by modern day standards. Mm-hmm. They're kind of tame. Um, like but the for the time, father of suspense <laughs> it, right. is more is more accurate because he kind of, you know, um, heralded it. He, cre- <laughs> he created the whole idea of making movies extremely suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And for the time, they were super suspenseful. Yep. But uh, nowadays, we'd be like, I mean, you know, tame. And I think that's part of why I felt like the stakes weren't incredibly high was just the times and and how movies yeah, like have what you gonna and like what can you do about it you know like that's just yeah. that's not something you can necessarily like that's just how time works um, right and so for that yeah. I don't fault it and honestly placing myself in the you know say I had watched that when it had originally come out I probably would have it probably could have been one of my favorite movies of all time I mean right it's in the mid middle of the fifties with this incredible story I mean it's so unique. It, yeah, it's just I think I'm only going to let my kids watch movies from the 50s and 60s until they're like 12 years old so that then they can appreciate it more. <laughs> that's a, um, that's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, there's some things about this movie that are just signs of the times, like having scenes be distinct sections of a movie with fades to black in between. Like that was something Akira that did Kurosawa. Yeah, it's annoying because we have found ways to transition between scenes so much better now. Mm-hmm. But Akira Kurosawa was doing the exact same thing. 
And he's also considered like a giant of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of those things are just, nobody had thought to do anything else yet. And I don't even know if scene transitions that are more seamless were really happening until the late 60s and 70s. Right. Um, So a lot of what you might not enjoy about this film is just, it's just a sign of the times it was made in. But the things that transcend the times are so impactful that that's why people say it's one of the greatest movies ever made. I wholeheartedly agree. There was nothing else I could say other than that. That's pretty (laughs) much how I was going to wrap it up. So with that being said... That is going to make it the end of this episode for the Rising Action Podcast. Thank you all for listening um, and sticking with us this far. Um, you can find me at Schradester8 on both Twitter, Instagram. Oh, both, both isn't the accurate term. You can, on th- all three of these, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, you can find Josh uh, where? Because I forget every time. <laughs> Josh Johnson 98 on Instagram, Josh underscore J 98 on Twitter, and Josh J 98 on Letterboxd. Yes. And once again, you can follow us at rising action underscore on Instagram. And you can also check both Josh and myself on the Comic Blast podcast, which is uh, my, my pride and joy. But, also, but this is also too. So that's not really a fair assessment. Anyway, you know, go check out Comic Blast. You can find that on pretty much wherever you're listening to this too. And also at Comic Blast underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Josh, do you have anything else left to say? Look out! He's going to yeet you out the window! (laughs) That was really bad. Yeah, yeah, it's whatever. (laughs)